0: Welcome to the Inspired Astrology Podcast. This is a full moon episode. So we have Jonah Emerson Bell, blind stallion space wizard, joining me for this evening's show. Um, the full moon is dropping in on August 1st, 2023. This is an Aquarian full moon. So the weirdo and me salutes and honors the weirdo and you. So what do they mean by authentic? Is it a hype word? pop therapy malarkey or is it a reminder of who you are at your core I want to know your three-year-old you right the one that had no time for deliberation I want to know what your impulses are I want to know what you truly want and not what you think that you are supposed to want how often do we sublimate our truest desire to stay in harmony How often does diplomacy take over our truth? Fearful of war, we negotiate power and we compromise ourselves into confusion. What would it be like to stand at the gate of your heart, a warrior, and hold a line? None shall pass unless we vibe, you dig? So get tired of wanting people to like you. It is an exhausting job to be like Well, meanwhile, you know the folks that you can't stand, the ones who make your skin crawl. There's a reason for string theory. You are not going to vibrate on everyone's wavelength because you'll either have the the work of karma to do, right? The, The ball of unconscious harms to untangle. And that person might probably be your mirror for you to confront your stupid in. And they might be your mirror that you see the divine in yourself within them. Maybe those friction waves are detoxifying, right? Maybe the harsh sound is meant to shake you free. Aries is nature and Libra is human. Aries' guttural sense of impulsivity does not deliberate on outcomes. It trusts that nature will find its balance rather than the man-made desire to control what outcomes take fruition. Trust that nature, trust nature. Do not abandon relational dynamics, but remember that your autonomy is just as valuable as theirs, that their joy and happiness are just as important as yours. Find your happy and inspire someone else's happy. Help other people be happy And you will inspire your own happy. That is a clip from the Moon Mailer. And um, if you've not signed up for that, you can find it uh, at Ursiday.us or DM me on Instagram. Let me know your email handle so I can get you added to the list. I do not spam. You get two emails a month, maybe a third with some information on upcoming dates. But uh, I promise to respect your space as I have always done. Um, so before I put Jonah up on the show, I just want to remind you that there's a lot happening astrologically and I've been getting a lot of calls and a lot of texts. And so being gentle with yourself is, is crucial, right? And just trusting that this too shall pass, especially if you're being super activated. We've had a lot of ingresses, oppositions, tensions, all the things right and there is lots to learn from the venus retrograde cycle so jonah and i will be talking about that on today's show um if you want to find me i'm at ursaday.us. Um i am currently doing a fundraiser promotion for my very sick dog who is over here hacking in the background poor guy um, Dragon contracted um, kennel cough, which turned into pneumonia. We're waiting back on some test results uh, for a, um, something called uh, blastomycosis, which is a, a spore, a fungus, that um, animals are susceptible to inhaling here in Wisconsin. This is something new to me. So we're hoping that it is not that. Um, that it would be a very long road to recovery for the hound dog. But um, I'm doing $20 questions so you can send some money to Venmo at Lauren K. Hickman uh, and DM me on Instagram or however you have found me online or right here and send send a quick question. And if it's a long question, be considerate in your exchange. Um, I do not like crowdfunding, it makes me feel very awkward, Uh, but doing uh, quickies like this helped me to make enough money to cover some pretty expensive uh, and looming vet bills that are happening, so thank you so much for contributing, Uh, Dragon is the love of my life, (laughs) he's number one in my journey, and it's been really hard to uh, watch him be sick for going on three weeks now um he is resting he's taken care of he's eating he's even excited to go out on walks but you know he has a respiratory illness uh the irony being that if you've been listening you know that i've been having some respiratory illnesses the last couple of months thanks to the wildfires so hopefully the two of us will be on the mend and back to normal but for right now you get my sultry asthma slash allergy slash wildfire voice (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm not going to take up any more time jonah emerson bell is an astrologer and tarot reader magician wizard extraordinaire and i love having him here on the show for full moons as we offer this deliberation this um, opposition of ideas and you have a couple fire signs with a fire season so hopefully there'll be some inspiration for you in there somewhere so uh enjoy the show Jonah, it's a full moon. We're together.
1: <laughs> happy full moon, Lauren.
0: <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, and happy Leo season. I think this is this is a good one. I really enjoy Leo season. High to summer. Lots of heart. Lots of flair. And we have um, a Venus retrograde in Leo happening as well.
1: Yeah. Also, we're both fire signs, so this is trying this uh, Leo season trines us. Our suns by sign. right so we got an aries and a sagittarius so uh leo just brings the party
0: Harmonize. harmonize that's right 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 yeah so i think about leo season and um obviously the heart is connected to leo and leo is the ruler of the sun in traditional astrology um how how do you correlate those two things in in your studies of this
1: um that's an interesting question so um i mean there's like in the traditional astrology they have like uh they kind of explain the rulership of uh who rules what in this very uh interesting way based on the what's called the thema mundi chart um and uh it has basically like the sun which rules leo and the moon which rules cancer next to each other and then it sort of like emanates outward um and there's like very interesting explanations but the the thema mundi uh is like the chart for the birth of the world and there's thoughts that it's used as a um like like a teaching tool but it's basically like every planet is in the sign that they rule at 15 degrees and so this is like when the world was invented or born that's like what the cosmos looked like um but like in the um these sort of like luminaries are kind of the heart of it um at cancer and leo um so i'm not exactly sure like other than that why like leo uh rules the sun but the thing or the things that come up for me right is um leo as we think about it has this very solar energy it's like it wants to be on stage, it wants to be seen, it wants to like shine its light into the world, you know, Um, and the like correlations with the heart, I think are really interesting, right? The kind of like core of our being, that place that our like light shines from, right? And, you know, I think, some ways of thinking about the human is that we have our consciousness, which is like a little us that's sitting behind our eyes, kind of driving the machine. Um, But like, if you tune into yourself, like I I find that that's not an accurate portrayal of what it is to be human. And I find much more resonance with that kind of heart space, right? Which I think allows me to show up a lot more authentically than, you know, that picture of consciousness as like a little guy driving the robot that is me, right? Because that guy has like a lot of self-consciousness and worry and concern. But if we tune into that heart center, that that allows me, at least me, to show up in my authentic self in these interesting ways. And I think that's what um, the archetype of Leo really brings to the table, that like courageous self that um, is really showing up as our in our fullness which um also like has the downsides where like other people can find that too much or overwhelming right
0: yeah that totally gives men in black vibes the little alien controlling the big body (laughs) yeah i i feel like our that's the difference between the the head and the heart Mm-hmm. You know, that's that is very Leo and Aquarius and theme in my experience because Aquarius being an air sign is that thinky pain, right? Almost over analyzing and offering that big perspective. But with that viewpoint, there's not a lot of feeling sometimes, hence the iciness that comes often with Aquarius energy. Not iciness as in um, unfeeling, right? But there's a detachment that comes from the feeling. Right. And so we can't cut off our heads to get connected with our heart. And mm-hmm. the ego does have that self-awareness. So the the Leo that leads with the heart, right? Because there's that idea with the fire signs that we're here for inspiration, that we're here to offer insight through those flames and encouragement, like the warmth of it that can also burn. Mm-hmm. And Leo specifically, because of the rulership with the sun, it's like, how much do you nourish and how much do you burn? And if I if I think about you know a, a balanced Leo versus a Leo that is a bit askewed, right? They might center themselves or need lots of praise and affirmation for their efforts. And ultimately, I think making more room at the table right? Like a, a good Leo is really good at just that generosity and that act of like, there is room for you. There is room for one more, there is room for 10 more here. And that that is what leads it into that Aquarius balance where Aquarius is very protective of the greater good, right? The, the idea of community and those that we may not see with our eyes, but who are living next door, who are living down the street, who are picking up our garbage, who are making our coffee and vice versa. Right mm-hmm. there is a collectivism that comes with each individual living to their highest and fullest sense, and I think mm-hmm. that's what Leo Aquarius really, what it gives, what it
1: offers. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think of Aquarius also as future thinking, right? Um, So not just thinking about like the community, but like what is the future of our group? What is the future of the community? Where is this taking us? Right, um, and you know I. Um, as i'm deepening my study into astrology you know and i think our conversations are really pointing out the importance of the polarity right because we get to have these uh conversations on full moons which is all about polarity right the uh for this one we have the uh sun at nine degrees of leo and the moon at nine degrees of aquarius so we're really talking about that uh leo aquarius axis right And you know, this one has always sort of like given me some trouble um, just as like the fifth house and 11th house, which are kind of the natural houses of these signs has given me trouble. But the way that I'm beginning to think about it, and I think that you um, really talked very eloquently about it um, is like, yeah, Leo is the, the individual, right? Who is up on stage, right? In the like talent show of life being like, this is me, right? This is like, listen to me play the star-spangled banner on the kazoo, right? And then Aquarius is, is the audience, right? And so it's like, how does the individual fit within the crowd, right? And how do we make room for, for both, right? How does the individual, how does like, you know, my kind of like heart centered, um, desire to be seen and acknowledged for my authenticity, how does that impact the collective? Right. Um, and then, uh, how does the collective impact me? Um, in a way that I've heard this talked about, and this is um in in relation to the fifth house 11th house axis which again are the sort of natural houses of leo and aquarius leo the natural ruler of the fifth and aquarius the natural ruler of the 11th that's if we have like zero degrees aries on the ascendant um uh and this comes from uh the astrologer mickey Pellerano, who i think is brilliant but he talks about the fifth house as the artist's studio and the 11th house as the gallery Right. So I think we can think about Leo and Aquarius like that as well. Right. Like Leo is the like I'm making my work like this is the thing that I'm divinely inspired to do. And then Aquarius is like where we show it to the collective and like receive feedback. Right. And how it is like either um, accepted, acknowledged, ignored. Right. Um, Criticized. Right. And then that comes back to the individual. And like, what do we do with that? Do we like uh, freak out and have a temper tantrum, right? Do we like demand more attention? Do we correct our path to like fit within the collective in a more um, maybe uh, socially conscious type of way? Right, And I think that is that balance is always like going back and forth between these two sides, right? How the me fits in with the us and how the us or the we impacts the me.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a perfect segue into the, the lunar nodes that have just shifted signs. Right. And, and there is that I, we, which is the same <laughs> kind of context. I think that's a fire and air property as well, you know, and you can be like the Royal we, right? Like your consciousness and all the planets and different aspects of yourself that are playing out consciousness and then the external world. Right. And <clears throat> I like what you said about like, can we handle conflict, right? Can we handle criticism? Can we, are we able to take things lightly and are we dishing out shit appropriately as well, right? Are we being overly critical, over judgmental, over icy, right? And Aquarius has that tendency, you know, I think it's, there is some perfectionism in there. There's a lot to it because it's like, oh shit, we're getting at the end of the cycle. Like how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we sort of like kind of get things solidified for the, the new beginning to, to occur, right? The, the Aries piece when, or the Pisces piece, and then the Aries piece, like you let go and then it breathes in new life. Right. Um, Now, I think that the nodes are so interesting to me. And that's, I, I was telling Jonah that most of the contact I've had this, this weekend and this week with, with my clients is Libra stuff, Libra Aries stuff right? Not just about relationships, but I think about codependency codependency specifically. And you use the word authentic or authenticity a few times already, um, which is a word associated with Leo, and I think associated with the heart. And Aries and Libra have that play with authenticity as well, you know, because Aries is just pure impulsive nature. It is kind of this instinctive motivation. Um, for the most part, right? Like, of course we all have different aspects. Um, and then Libra often will be the diplomat in trying to mold the outcome of a, of a circumstance. So my meditations on it this week, uh, about that, that access between Aries and Libra and that term authenticity, how we show up in the world as pure self instead of our mirror self which is the accumulation of projections that we make upon others and how they project upon us. Right. And, and we do, we are so influenced by community, right? There's that audience and the person on stage again, that, we receive that feedback or that praise or that criticism, and it starts to mold us and adapt us like clay when we're quite small, unless you have like some pretty stern like sense of being, right? But, but if you if you are tender that way and you're trying to fit in or trying to please another person, right? Those attachment styles can get really warped. And there's a loss of what is it that I want? What is my identity? What gives me joy and pleasure? And Libra is well known for um, kind of adapting situations to make the other person more comfortable, right? And when one does that, they are denying themselves of that, of that experience of autonomy, which is that Aries piece. And hopefully I can frame this in the in language that makes sense from the feeling that I get, but. Aries can burn shit down and trust that nature is going to compensate that if it makes an impulsive move, if it makes a mistake, the natural shift in things, right just as if you know um, like a, a field burns or a forest fire burns. I hate putting that term to it right now but um, that things are things are going to compensate that life will begin and renew. The scales of Libra is the human component of trying to find balance in the variables. And there's a lot of control that comes with it. And one of the words that I associate with Libra is manipulation, you know, whether that's through charm or um, praising another person, whatever it is, that is a form of manipulation. It's not always like evil or wrongdoing kind of manipulation. It's sort of subtle. And it, and it strips away a person's sense of autonomy just through trying to adjust to make everything comfortable or peaceful or harmonious, rather than trusting that nature is going to heal itself. Libra is constantly trying to fix circumstances outside of itself to find balance, rather than trusting the balance and the equilibrium within.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. Uh, description, yeah, you know. and I think it's Im- it's important when we're talking about the nodes, right? Um, that the South Node we're looking at kind of the the shadow side of that sign, right? And um, my teacher Stephen Forrest, who uh, is the person that I one of the main sort of people that i learned astrology from uh, and like he has done a lot of work with the uh lunar nodes and is an evolutionary astrologer and he talks about the signs as like um a divine image in the mind of god right and then when we're thinking of the south node we're looking at what the potential like shadow sides of that are right so it's not like when we're talking about this it's not like libra bad and aries good right because they're like there is no good or bad, right? There's just like skillful and unskillful and the south node is sort of bringing out the unskillful parts, right? Um, And if we think of it as the dragon's tail, this is like what we are um, releasing or excreting, right? And so we're looking at maybe like, what are the unskillful ways that Libra behaves? Because this is what uh, we might need to be adjusting as we move forward and in, in an evolutionary perspective as we evolve. Um, but you know, I think another misconception with the nodes is like North Node is what we're going to do and South Node is what we're going to stop doing. And I have not found that to be true. I have found that the South Node is what we know how to do. And so we're just going to keep doing that until it's so uncomfortable that we have to do something else right so as and I think um venus who is the ruler of libra and thus the ruler of the uh, south node being in retrograde i think is really bringing up uh these shadowy things to the surface right and lauren um mentioned a couple of them like codependence right people pleasing is another like libran or venusian uh shadow aspect Um, That subtle manipulation and um, I want to just uh, throw another one out there. And this is from Stephen Forrest. And he talks about like peace at any cost. Right. And like, what is the price of peace, because Libra is all about like, uh, making things harmonious and peaceful, but uh, sometimes peace can come at a great cost. And one of the things that comes up for me immediately is uh, like the Barbie movie being released at the same time as Oppenheimer, right? And I think that these have like interesting correlations with the nodes, um, which hopefully if I find some time, I'll get to write an essay about. But one of the things that comes up for me is Oppenheimer who invented the atomic bomb, right? And that was peace at any cost right? It was uh, dropping the bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, right? And that like display of power that ended World War II and the like, um, you know, eradication of uh, thousands and thousands of civilians that ended World War II. And that was peace at any cost, right? Uh, Another sort of uh, example of that is last time the nodes were in Aries and Libra was, uh, uh, I believe in two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five, um eighteen years ago. uh anyway, I'll have to do the research in a second when Lauren uh, starts talking. But um, one of the things that came up uh, was Guantanamo Bay right and uh the the use of torture or renditions as they call them which is i i think like some libra newspeak like kind of beautifying the way that we talk about torture right as like a way of um uh ending the war on terror terror right so like that's another example of a government like using uh really atrocious means to create peace Right. And so like, you know, these are extreme examples, but that is like um, the shadow side of Libra is creating peace at any cost. And whether this is like doing harm to others, right, or doing harm to oneself by denying uh, one's authentic voice, right, or denying uh, one's needs or trying to rescue other people or people pleasing and twisting oneself in knots to try and balance the scales as uh, one thinks they should be balanced, right? So these are some examples of like what that shadow can look like, right? And I think what's important is recognizing like uh, when we might be moving into these behaviors into like trying to rescue or trying to control and uh, seeing if we can move into something that's different, right? Uh, What the opposite action to that might be. You know, and moving towards the North Node is challenging and it takes some practice, right? So it takes a little patience and compassion with the self to move into something that is unfamiliar, new territory, right? Something that we don't know what it looks like, right? You
0: know, the, the South Node piece in, in Libra, how it often shows up, um, I think, for clients is not not only like skills and beauty or arts or harmony or having a really good keen um, perspective on things, uh, there's often a, a desire to be taken care of, right? Like sometimes turning one's will over to another person. And I think Forrest talked about that in some of his workshops around the nodes mm-hmm. is, you know de- you know, depending like, do you have seventh house stuff? Is it a South node in Libra? Like what kind of connections do we have there? And it's, you know, turning your, your will and your power over to the care of another person, right, is a surrendering of, of will, of power, right? And it's like, okay, well, you just decide, which sometimes Libra is like really into that, right? You drive the car, you pick the meal, I'm indecisive, I don't know what I want, because there's constantly a weighing of the options and an uncertainty about which path to take. And as Forrest said in um, The Inner Sky, that unfortunately, Libra doesn't have eternal time. You can Mm -hmm. want all the things, you can want all the relationships and all the different lives, but at some point you do have to pick one. And it's better to make a decision earlier than kind of wait for somebody else to choose your fate for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's really scary to choose one's fate, right? And I think that's that Aries North North Node part, right? Is that needing to choose and needing to say, this is what I want. And the fear that comes with it, if other people are like, no, that's wrong, right? Or you shouldn't want that, or you're bad to want that. Or like, oh, that hurts my feelings, right? And all of these ways that, you know, um, we've been conditioned, right, especially and maybe not we've been conditioned, but there's like this Libran kind of uh how we fit into society, how we fit into relationship where we've been conditioned to like um betray ourselves, right? To keep the peace. And what happens when we like ask for our needs to be met, right? There's like even saying that, I'm noticing this like fear in my belly, right? Around like, oh, what if they don't like that? What if what if Lauren gets mad at me, <laughs> right? You know, what if the people out there are, uh, I like to think that there's only five people listening to this show, because that makes it makes it a lot easier for me. But like, what if those five people don't like what I'm saying and they hate me, right? You know, and I think having to like lean into that and be like, no, this is like what I need right now, right? This is what I want. This is what I'm asking for, you know? And like, there's um, there's a lot of fear around that. And I think Aries like really asks for courage, right? And bravery you know even in the like basic mundane things being like i need to go to the bathroom and so i have to like get up in the movie theater and walk across four people right and being like what if that like messes up their experience of the barbie movie right and it's like yeah but it can be okay right like to have the courage to like disrupt somebody else's experience because like mine i have biological needs that like need to be met you know
0: what a great analogy, Jonah. That is a perfect analogy for the Libra Aries dynamic. Right. And I think if i if I may insert a story, right? Um I've hosted a lot of classes, a lot of workshops out of my own home. And as a as a younger Padwan, like as a younger student, I was really concerned about showing up and appearing perfect, right? And that was sort of my stuff that I had received from the matriarchs in my family, how to be a good host, how to do all the things, how to prepare a space, right? And a big piece of that would be trying to make all of my other, my fellow students feel really comfortable. And we had this dog, Dollar, and he was you know, found on the street like a little dollar bill. He was like my little Reiki dog, and he was there for a lot of my attunements over time. Regardless, he was a lot, and he often would jump on people who were not interested in creatures whatsoever. And at some point, my teacher corrected me because I kept being like, Dollar, come here, or like, is that okay? And the teacher was like, hey, people should be able to ask for what they need. You do not need to worry about if they're comfortable. They can take care of themselves. And it's that level of permission that cuts through any of that discomfort right? And that, that is the bravery to communicate what our needs are. And that's really the blending of the Libra and Aries is like, hey, I am consenting you know, to you so that you can speak to me that there's this vulnerability. And I think that's where it evolves into Scorpio is like turning the belly up and, and having that vulnerability. So true intimacy can be heard, right? Mm-hmm. That Libra is kind of like the cute part of dating, right? Or the cute part of a relationship. And Scorpio is the like, the dog died, your mom is sick, things are going to shit, right? And we have to learn how to be vulnerable about that. And so every every season precedes the next one. You have to have all the pieces to fit into the puzzle. And as you said, those harmonics of opposition, of squares, of trines, of sextiles is where we start to learn, You know what does Scorpio season know about Taurus? What does Aries know about Libra? Like how can they communicate to one another about um, their strengths as well as their shortcomings?
1: Yeah. And you know, you bring up this really uh that story like makes me think about um the libra tendency when we're like, "Oh, I want to make sure everybody else is okay," right? How that prevents people from asking for what they need, right? You know, to like the story with the your dog, right? By um when we give people the space to like have the courage to ask for what they need. Right. And to like speak, use their voice and to say, you know, this isn't okay, or this is what I would like. Um, I think there's great strength there. Right. And that's the um, Aries lesson. Right. Of being able to claim our space, to be able to say, I am here and these are what my needs are. And this is what I would like to have happen. Or even like, what's that over there? I want to go explore it. Right. Which is another way that uh, Aries shows up. Um, but like when we're like, oh, is that okay for you? Like, do you need this? Do you need that? Um, I, It really prevents people from being able to like have the courage and the bravery to like really uh, claim their individuality, their agency and autonomy and make their choices, right?
0: There's a difference between empowering and overpowering a person. And I think that's one of those fine arts and, you know, with, with Pluto aspecting squaring these guys I think power dynamics, which exist in all things and the, in the shadow and the secrets and the things that we, we stomach, right? Like that's the ball of wax that sits at the base of your belly is when you resent someone because you haven't spoken up what your needs are. And that's, that to me is, is everything is giving people permission to say what they want because we can't read minds and, we're learning more and more about how subtle nuances in neurotypical culture are not easily accessible to everybody there's a lot of phoniness and when we are inauthentic then we're not really being clear about our intent and based on another person's nervous system and how they read the room if you are showing up one way and feeling another way there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs and that's unfair to everybody in your environment, um, unless you are totally unconscious of it. And that means that it's something to work on. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to give huge praise to Shane and shout out, um, for early on, uh, her relationship, she was one of the first safe females in my life and, um, you know, meeting her at 18 years old and, you know, her being a Libra rising and our moon, my moon and her son conjunct with each other. You know, she really taught me a lot about impeccability and being clear about what your intentions are and impeccable with your speech. And the four agreements were a huge part of her learning that practice. And it, and it really meant a lot to me because she, she asked me to stop saying I was sorry. Because twenty years ago, that was the word that came out my mouth all the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm sorry. You know, it was constantly just this this feeling of like ah, like I don't, I can't take up space. I am not big enough for this. I do not know what I want. There's so much just you know delusion or illusion about things. So when when we start to practice permission about naming what it is that we want. It's micro movements. It's not, you know, grand scales of like, honey, let's, I wanna open up the relationship, right? Like you have to have tiny micro conversations about, about what it is that the the end goal is, right? So it's yes, yes, scream on the mountaintop, but also like whisper into your lover's ear and like let your friends know what you need and be, be soft. Vulnerability is everything when it comes to the Aries Libra piece.
1: Yeah. And if you have to go to the bathroom, just go to the bathroom. It's okay. These people can rent the movie later.
0: Yeah. Don't be weird. Why are yeah. you making it weird? <laughs>
1: yeah. It's totally fine. You And you can let them know your astrologers told you that.
0: That's right. I uh, do you love being, do you love being a scapegoat for people or like the, the Oh blame? yeah. Oh yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah. just tell them that I told you that this is how it's yeah. got it.
1: Right? Yeah. I've even given people my phone number and been like, if they have a problem, you can tell them to call me. No one's ever taken me, taken them up on that, but, um, I've put that out there.
0: Be careful what you wish for Jonah. <laughs>
1: mm.
0: Also, I'm that not can conflict. be super entertaining. I'm not,
1: I'm not conflict diverse when it has nothing to do with me. Oh, right? it's like really easy to like, you know, speak on other people's behalfs, but like not as easy to speak on my own behalf. Mm. Right. And that's maybe something that I'm getting to learn, right. Cause that's some, uh, Libra, right. Speaking up for others. Right, is like very Libra, right? Um, Speaking for myself, which would be Aries, is a lot harder. And I find like a lot of uh, tension in my neck and jaw, um, which I've like learned to sort of move through and breathe through and ground myself. Um, But yeah, that's like learning to stand up for myself is a lot harder than standing up for other people.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I I immediately go to your Taurus Moon conjunct Chiron because of the the speech piece of that, right? And like humming through it, also doing these practices like the melee report and you know agreeing to to speak with people online is probably a huge Aries act of moving towards yourself more. Um, you know, did. I'm curious, like, did like a lisp bother you growing up? Like, was that like something that made you self-conscious or anything?
1: No, I think it's just, um, it gets to, speak one's truth is uh, really frightening. Yeah. And I think that there is, uh, when something is meaningful, right? It's like easy to talk about whatever, but when something is meaningful and you say that, right? If it gets smacked down, that can uh, be really painful, right? Or if there is um, uh, negative repercussions that come from your truth, that can be really frightening and heartbreaking, right? It's almost the same thing as uh, wanting something, right? You know, and I've heard heard all of these clients be like, if I if I want something, like it can be taken away or maybe I won't get it and it'll break my heart. So like, I've just learned not to want, which I think is like really heartbreaking, right? And I think it's really important that we honor our desires, right? Um, And learn safe ways to honor our desires, right? While recognizing that we can't always get what we want, right? And so I think there's a piece for me about speaking my truth that like, if it's not heard or like I'm shunned for it, like, there is um some heartbreak in that, right or if uh you know I'm speaking to somebody who has more power than me uh and there's like negative repercussions that happen, then that can be like really heartbreaking and maybe like some past life story where that was like life threatening right And so you know that's something that I've like noticed in myself and like in my system having to work through
0: yeah. I've heard it, I've heard it, um, suggested that, um, you know, a lot of us that have been strung up in past lives or eliminated for speaking truth or saying that the world was round when everyone else said it was flat, you know, that this is a safe time to exist for the most part. Right. And like being able to find community online and to find other people that you can share those truths with. Right. Um, and all the other mistruths and weirdo stuff that's out there. Well, <laughs> we you talk course. about aliens this week. No.
1: <laughs> oh, please. Um, before we get there, will you uh do you want to talk a little bit more about Pluto Square the Nodes?
0: I I honestly feel like uh that that this has been sort of thematic um under underlying our conversation because of power dynamics and that play in relationships. Um power is everything because the you know the the person who is dominating needs the submissive person to give them permission to dominate and I think that's the thing that is always forgotten is that we have the power to not agree or not to consent to those types of relationships and you, you can be bowled over still, right? Like this is the the like truth among all truths. But there is a there is an understanding that if you're allowing someone to overpower you or thought to overpower you, you're giving it permission to do so. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the desire piece and talking about Venus retrograde, I, I think that would be a better segue, and then we can save aliens for the end, because right. aliens, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, so if you don't listen to the, the melee report, which is Jonah's weekly Venus offering currently, cause you're doing it on Fridays and not Thursdays as your Jupiterian once self doing things, um, <laughs> words, words, uh, but the melee reports available on SoundCloud. You can get on Jonah's Patreon account, find them on Instagram at blind stallion space wizard. I'll link that in uh, the show notes, but, uh, it's fun and you should listen to it for so many reasons, but Jonah really finds a way to use music and the feelings of music, the vibration of music um, to really explain some of the basics of astrology. And every year we have a Venus retrograde. I love listening to your shows because you go into some of the older mythology, which plays into the actual cycles of Venus in the sky, right? Like the, the dawn, the, the morning Venus and the evening Venus, the, the different stars in the sky, Um, I would love to hear your kind of encapsulation of that because you know the myth better than I do.
1: Yeah, so one of the mythologies that that has been connected with the Venus retrograde is the Sumerian myth of Anana, who is the queen of heaven and earth, who is called down to the underworld um, to attend the uh, funeral of her brother-in-law. And so she descends from her throne uh, down to the underworld and on on this trip, she has to pass these seven gates. Um, And at each gate, she has to remove one of her power objects, her breastplate, her crown, um, you know, her jewels. Like, these are the kind of earthly attachments that um, are kind of ego identities for her, right, as a queen. Right. And they're also power objects. And so she enters into the underworld uh, naked and bowed low, uh, where she is met by her twin sister, Ereshkigal, who is the uh, queen of the underworld. And Ereshkigal uh, basically kills her and hangs her on a hook on the wall. Right. And it's this in the in the poem, it's this like really intense moment. And, um, so Anana is rescued by Enki, who is one of the gods who sends these two non-binary uh, figures down to the underworld. And, you know, there's... I find this part really interesting because um, in the mythology, they're like no man or woman can enter the underworld and come back. Right. And so the loophole that Enki finds is like, I'll make these non-binary figures. Right. Who like then can go down and come back. And so they they go down and they meet with the Reshkigal and they show her compassion. Right. She's like, oh, oh, my belly. And they're like, oh, oh, your belly. Right. You know, and being the, the, an, uh, Chthonic a god or goddess right or an underworld deity like people don't get a lot of compassion right because like if you meet an underworld deity that means you died and people are upset they're frustrated they're angry right they're scared no one's like oh my god like thanks for being here and holding down the underworld right oh my god you must be so lonely right no one ever says that people are like why why did you take me right i had so much more to do and so, um, um, these two non-binary figures, um, they show a compassion and she is so taken with their compassion that she's like, oh my God, that was amazing. I'll give you anything. And they're like, uh, what about that, uh, corpse you have hanging on the wall? And she's like, oh yeah, that old thing, take it. Right. So they bring, they bring Anana, uh, back up. But before she goes, the judges of the underworld are like, okay, like if you're, coming back to uh the upper world somebody has to take your place right and so Anana comes back to the uh middle world and finds um her husband demuzi um has usurped her throne and uh decked it out with a bunch of horse merchandise um and is just drinking uh brewskis uh in in his uh mojo dojo casa house and Anana uh, is like that one take him and uh then the the poem goes on because Demezi doesn't want to go anyway you know some of the themes that come up with this is um Anana ha- is stripped of her power and then has to go meet her shadow self right and goes through this symbolic death where she understands the power of the underworld right integrates her shadow right the parts that are unloved that she has had no compassion for that no one has had any compassion for and then once she realizes this she returns to middle earth uh, with a new understanding and a new power and a new sense of self and then um basically uh offers that initiation to her husband uh who turns tails and runs because he's not willing to to he he isn't willing to go to the underworld on his own and has to be dragged down so ta-da that is your story for the, for the the lunation for venus retrograde brutal yeah uh
0: well thank you i mean you really broke that down it's uh i mean sumerian that is a long time ago and to have that equated with um kind of the Venus cycles, which are are so interesting, right and and you mentioned that the last time that Pluto was square to the nodes, it was also a Venus retrograde year in Leo. and that because um Venus only retrogrades in certain signs, if I remember correctly. Yep. So there is a like a I wish I, we we should like put a picture up of it of like the the cycles that happens with Venus. but, um when we when we look back towards patterns in astrology right like uh jonah suggested earlier like when we go back to like guantanamo bay and those types of things those are the ways that astrologers kind of find patterns and things and maybe get some insight into the current circumstances even though everything is different right because all the planets are in a different alignment nothing is ever going to be the same or identical at any point in time Uh, well, maybe in a 36,000 year cycle or something like that, something massive. But let's think about what happened in 2015. If you listen to Jonah's report, he played a lot of music, played a lot of cool music from that era and from 2008,
1: right? Seven. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you have to think about what kind of, um, themes were happening in your life at that moment, especially when we're considering relationships when we're considering what it is that we want, what we desire, what our truth is, what we're moving towards, right? And as humans, we speak so candidly about our heart, what my heart said, I wanna listen to what my heart says. And just like the Aquarius Leo thing, sometimes we're listening to our head and not our heart or we get them confused vice versa about which one is speaking. And almost always when we're thinking, we're using our head because the heart is this underlying tone, this feeling that is beyond language because feeling truly is beyond language. It's the language of spirit. And that's where we get our best intuitions and our best, um, I I don't know, I don't want to call it impulse, but the drive. And if the Venus principle represents, um, you know, some, I'm trying to think of the name of the book specifically, but it is about attachment and detachment. You know, like uh, detaching from the mom, like learning how to be your own person, your own being, but also learning to long and to connect with other people. Venus is the principle that helps us to attract what we need. So what Venus is in your chart may show you about how you attract things that you need or want in your life. Um, To learn more about that book, reading with Jonah or myself, anyway... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no and i think you bring up a, a really good point about the venus attraction right and i think uh venus brings up a lot of discernment right and it's as much about saying no as it is about saying yes right because venus is if venus is what we love and what we are attracted to it also speaks about what we don't love and what we are uh, repulsed by right and the things that were like that doesn't feel good right yeah. so like as we um connect with like the venus pleasure principle right and and that desire and that attraction we also have to acknowledge and recognize like what we're not attracted to what what we don't like what doesn't feel good you know and i think the retrograde as a time of going inward of rethinking reconsidering um reorienting right um helping us to really rethink what we want and what we don't want right you know I think Mars
0: has a has a play in that as well but continue yeah.
1: yeah and also you know just coming back to the um Anana story just briefly right I think there's also this part where we reject um, those darker shadowy sides of ourselves right that we're afraid of that we're not willing to look at that we're uh not able to have compassion towards right and what is it like to open up to those right and the lessons that we can learn from integrating or opening to um those parts of ourselves that we don't like that we are rejecting or feeling that we don't want to love right and how can you know, and I think this is a really interesting um, place to look: is how can we love the the parts of ourselves that we have shunned or rejected, and also come into alignment with with the external world? What doesn't feel good, and what we are not aligned with? You know,
0: Carl Jung always talked about how the subconscious sort of rules our lives, right? And so the story of Anana and the underworld, and what you've just articulated when we're not giving ourselves permission to be freaky, you know, and, and the, what comes to mind immediately is um, Carolyn Elliott. I think that they changed their name to love well or love good or something like that, but they wrote existential kink. And this is a book that Shana, again, thank you, Shana for introducing me um, because it really focuses on getting down with our subconscious and what turns us on. And one of the most interesting things about this is like, um, let's say that you get flustered because you like are attracted to somebody. And so your face flushes and your heart rate elevates and you're excited, right? But what happens when you get anxious or embarrassed about something, your heart rate elevates, your cheeks flush and get, you get excited, but how are we differentiating what it feels like to be like lustful towards somebody and to enjoy being embarrassed or to enjoy being, um, humiliated or something like that um so when the the book itself i think the the title is um i don't know it it's relevant because it kind of it pushes you away immediately especially if you're like oh kink that makes me uncomfortable which is cultural right but we all have it we all have these things that we enjoy doing or we enjoy sabotaging ourselves because we get we get off on it and so it's all about um, embracing those pieces of us that we have not integrated because then we get really luscious and really in tune with what our full desire is instead of what we only give ourselves permission to do, which what, what is socially acceptable to give mm-hmm. ourselves permission to do.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, again, coming back to the story, that is the like return of Anana to the middle earth, right? Having all of this power of, uh, knowing oneself, right knowing oneself fully right and accepting oneself right and there's such like great energy in that, you know and I don't like if you can think of a time where you've been like, oh that's me and just like accepted that right there you get this like surge of energy right um, and it, and it's like really powerful feeling. And to like return right through this sort of um recalibration of desire and love and compassion, right? Um, in the Venus retrograde to like gain that energy as we like uh reintegrate the parts of ourselves that have been uh, separated or shunned, right, or kicked out, you know, and that that's where Anana becomes this sort of warrior queen. And you know, in the in Venus's cycle in the sky, this is Venus. Um, becoming the morning star right or lucifer the light bringer right which is like where it illuminates you know us as this being this powerful being right no longer uh somebody who is like you know uh just the partner of right or like an employee of right or the child of this is like somebody who has full agency in that kind of uh the Luciferian, right, like agency and the um lightbringer who like shows the way, right? And there is like great power in Venus as the morning star as like the individual claiming this is what I love and this is what turns me on, right?
0: Yeah. So the weirdo in me salutes the weirdo in you, and I think Dear, Jeff feels yeah. the same way, right? That we can all We can all really respect, like, I, I love that about our generation, like end of Pluto Libra, uh, Pluto and Scorpio generation That it is like, what's your nerd? Like, I want to know what your stinky nerd is. Like, I want to know what, what you fixate on. And I know Pluto, I mean, you have a Scorpio rising, so I think you can really resonate with this. It's like, what do you obsess about? you know, and what we say in the eighties and nineties? I'm obsessed. Like I'm obsessed with it. Right. I just, uh, I dig that.
1: <laughs> For me, it's the TV show. Supernatural.
0: That's so cute. You and my mom would have a lot to talk about. She loves her boys. That's great.
1: She... Yeah. I can't wait to hang out with your mom and talk about the Winchesters.
0: You <laughs> Love that. I will set up that call. Thank um, you. Okay, so I just wanted to get into some of the aspects because I know that we could go on and on and on. Um, I know we want to get to aliens and Shanae O'Connor. <laughs> um, all right, so the upcoming Uranus square Venus, we have spoken about that before. Jonah was like, eh, this can make people pretty uncomfortable. So I want to get your your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I've been noticing like this past week seemed very intense. You know, and I think uh, I can't tell if it's the uh, Venus retrograde, the shifting of the nodes, uh, Saturn square, uh, Saturn opposing uh, Mars and then Mercury. um, And then next week we're getting uh, Uranus uh, squaring Venus which, you know, Uranus is electric, wants freedom, wants to, like, do its thing, and Venus, if we think about Venus is how we attach, and relationships, right, maybe Venus in the underworld is rethinking relationships, and then Uranus comes by, and Venus is like, I'm ending this, right, or like, you know does things impulsively because that is a very Iranian thing to do um is make impulsive decisions and squaring venus it might be impulsive relational decisions or also um impulsive um aesthetic decisions so like shaving your head painting your house right getting face tattoos um you know things like that so um you know, and I think that like Uranus like really wants to liberate, but it does it in ways that are not the most delicate sometimes, right? So like if there is pent up uh, emotional stuff that hasn't been expressed, when Uranus comes into a square, which is like a challenging aspect that's looking for integration, it can all just vomit up, right? Or explode. Um, and so that can be like pretty uncomfortable. Ends, like it can end well perhaps but like maybe uh maybe there are softer, gentler, easier ways to do it. you know sometimes that's not available um, but you know, maybe take a deep breath uh, before you uh, get your partner's name tattooed under your left eye. Maybe.
0: Some people could use that energy in their life. Right, maybe if they're hemming and hawing too too long, too far, that they need to have that lightning bolt strike, that lightning bolt strike to shake them out of a stupor, right? Um, to shine light, which is what Uranus does on this underbelly of desire, right? Venus in retrograde. Um, so I think that's I think that's good advice, like uh, restraint of thumb and send, perhaps.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: tongue and pen thumb and send
1: um i also uh just thought about this um but in the mythology uh venus is actually born from uranus um because uh in the story uranos or uranus uh, is castrated by uh, saturn and uh, his junk is thrown into the ocean where it like foams and bubbles and Aphrodite or Venus is born, right? Which is like this very interesting uh, piece because like out of this like traumatic act, right? Of castration where or- Orinos, uh is ejected from the earth basically and becomes the sky uh, from this traumatic, a violent act Venus is born right and so one of the things that this talks about is like even from like things that suck right even from things that are painful difficult challenging um, heart-wrenching like uh, real beauty and connectivity can be born out of them right sometimes it takes a long time right and um, Uranus can be like a, a traumatic signature in the birth chart right um, and also it's like the places that things break is where the light gets in, right? And it's like where that repair happens that they become that much stronger.
0: Right. So good advice on that, you know, um, taking three breaths before you say something, or, you know, I think about going on retreat for 30 days or something, and they're like, do not make any decisions when you get home. Like, <laughs> like, especially because you're coming in with this like whole different perspective on things. And sometimes Uranus does give you the long view and yeah, things can shift, but that doesn't have to happen painfully. And in my sessions, I think one of the qualifiers that I always, always, always say is as gently as possible. Right. And I think as a, like a a younger magician or however, I don't know how I identify. I've never really like used that word out loud, but certainly as a a younger seeker, I always wanted it all and now and fast and hard. And I ended up having lots of those experiences and they do teach you, but they're incredibly painful. And as I matured, I think understanding that it can be gentle, it can be soft, that you can make decisions Um, with some sanity you know you can have conversations without yelling there doesn't have to be all this tension but tension is interesting right (laughs) speaking of tension Saturn and Mercury right that opposition that's a that's a rubber band pull if I ever heard of one
1: yeah and you know I think that um, before uh, Saturn opposed Mercury which is happening uh, partile during this uh, full moon Mars uh, was opposing Saturn last week sort of you know so we have our kind of like appetite and desire uh, getting smacked down by Saturn and then our thinking and cognition getting smacked down by Saturn right so this can you know make us feel dumb right in eloquent like uh, that we don't have the words you know I also right I think Pisces is about kind of like acceptance And Virgo is about um, getting it right, you know? And so Mercury ruler of Virgo in Virgo uh, has this like laser focus and is like very detail oriented, right? And is looking for the right piece of information, the right thing to say. Um, Pisces is like, Everything is everything, man. Right. And so Saturn in Pisces, who, eh, you know, I don't think Saturn is uh, so laid back. I don't, you know, Saturn in Pisces might be like the dude from uh, the Big Lebowski, right, which is like a very interesting hat for Saturn to wear. And, you know, as uh, Mercury ruling Virgo is trying to find the right information or the right thing, Saturn in Pisces is like never going to happen. Right impossible you know
0: the way i visualize it is saturn and pisces is a monet painting
1: mm. and
0: mercury and virgo is mc escher
1: mm. yes i love that i love that those
0: two like i mean you can't really fuse that energy the, there's no fusion it just has to have like a new result right, right? what is what is the harmonics between those
1: two right i mean
0: a Dali. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean they're both beautiful right? And they're both beautiful in their ways, right? And how can we accept the, the beauty of each of those, right? Instead of, you know, an opposition tends to be like this one, right? The, it's gotta be the Escher or like Monet is a better painter. It's not like, oh, these are both beautiful and we can hang them on opposite sides of the gallery, right? And like, you walk in and feel kind of weird, right?
2: Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. And like, how do we hold these opposites, right?
0: That makes me think about how Eris is playing into this chart because of its contact with Venus. You know, I, I, uh, I know that you don't have it pulled up on your chart, but for some reason I was really called to pull Eris, the asteroid up. And you know, that fucker is going to be in Aries forever. <laughs> it seems like, but, um, Eris is Nike in uh Greek mythology, the sidekick of Aries or Mars. And, Nike is like a little stinker. Like he's all about competition. I don't know if if it's a he or a she, it doesn't matter to me, but it's like this, this energy of like, let's see what happens when I toss this apple of discord into the argument. Right. And, and that creates its own kind of tension and competition circumstances, right? Like which one is more beautiful? You saying that made me think of this, like, because of the stories of the apple of discord, this golden apple and is Hera more beautiful or is Venus more beautiful or is Athena more beautiful? And this, this big conversation about competition and beauty, when the the truth is that all are beautiful because all of, all of God, all of creation is beautiful. And the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, sort of thing. But that competition, that discord creates creates tension and it creates innovation, right? And innovation is important and part of these tensions. Is that what if, you know, what are we gonna create out of that? Like what comes out, what innovation, what new new piece arises out of this circumstance? Mm-hmm. Um I think what Forrest said during early pa- pandemic times, like I can't even say the word anymore, so like like I twitch about it. Huh. But early on Eris's piece to the Pluto Saturn Jupiter conjunction, it was like who survived? The people who innovated, the people who went to delivery, the astrologers who moved online, the people who adapted were the ones who th- who thrived, throve, throvid, Thrive. throvid. I digress. Right. But it, it's this idea of like, what can we, how can we keep motivating this? Mm. And and one of the pieces that I was writing about um, just because I was in an animal hospital all day yesterday. So my notes are kind of like messy. I didn't bring a computer. It's all like, <laughs> but what if we were using competition to do something truly meaningful rather than focusing on um, the, the, the superficial Venus stuff, okay. right? Botox, you know, micro, like micro beings that like make our face different or like hair coloring and the, the sort of Piscean, uh, superficial things, the glamour stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and Pluto and Neptune are also in relationship this moon. So I think that's where, um, some of this piece came up, but, what if we were focusing on more of the substantial Venusian pieces about everybody having value, everybody having worth. And so we wouldn't be focusing so much on capitalism and purchasing and, and superficial things. We would be more focused on how can we share our resources, which Mm -hmm. is one of the greater pieces of, of, um, of Venus is, is truly what, you know, if, if Venus is the lower harmonic and then Neptune is the higher harmonic of it, that means that everybody, the ocean of everyone, everyone being safe and well and taken care of and having compassion and resources, that's what I want to see, right? And I think that that Leo Aquarius piece is also about that larger picture in the community, Uranus's place in this moon. Like, I don't know, to me, there is this bigger picture of how are we shifting, And how are we shifting our priorities and our values to something that's more substantial and with endurance versus like, how do we become immortal? Because we can't, we cannot.
1: Right. Um, That makes me think of, I mean, that just gets my brain going. Um, But I think this piece around Venus, right? And how do we like, how, how can we bring Venus to its sort of um, highest uh, moment, right? And, you know, uh, Carolyn Casey, who's one of my favorite astrologers, um, talks about, like, the problems of the modern world are Venus problems, right? Like, if we think about poverty, like, a lot of, like, poverty is a Venus problem, right? Not having good food to eat, not having access to green space, Right. Living in areas that are uh, not beautiful, that are surrounded by concrete, that are run down. Right. Don't have access to parks or flowers. Right. Parks and flowers are Venusian things like things that are aesthetically pleasing are Venusian things. Right. And when we get to interact with Venus, right, our nervous system is calm. Right. Right we're able to relax, when that uh, Venusian energy is taken away, and we're in spaces with bad lighting, right, and just like go to Target, right, or like Walmart, these are like not very Venusian places, right, Um, it's hard, like, you know they have their own beauty but like it's hard to to feel comfortable in those spaces um and to just think about like how the nervous system behaves when venus is present versus when venus is really hard to find right and so a lot of like our modern problems of like uh anxiety like nervous system dysregulation right uh feeling of uh lack and not having our basic needs met like our problems that stem from a lack of venus or like um uh sort of perpetuate a lack of that venusian energy and i want to couple this with um uh i've been doing looking into this astrologer uh nick nick deegan best uh who is a canadian astrologer and a white man um who's done a lot of research around uh venus in retrograde uh with uh uh how african americans are treated in america right and correlates venus retrograde cycles with racism in america and he's done a ton of research on this um and the astrologer sam reynolds has talked about this somewhat um and i haven't done enough research to like really speak fully on it and i uh, recommend looking up some of Nick Deegan Best's work um, because he outlines some of it. But he goes through dating back to like the 1800s um, with like the Nat Turner slave uh, rebellion, um, uh, correlations with Venus retrograde cycles, which happen every two years, and um, incidents of either racism or um, African American um, sort of rebellions or policy shifts. Um, And, you know, I think in one on one level, it's kind of like astrology allows you to, like, look wherever you want to and make correlations. Um, And I think that because racism is so endemic in America, we can look every two years and find something um, that like depicts uh, the racism of America. Um, But there's also like some big moments that are correlated with Venus retrograde years, like the killing of uh, George Floyd and the killing of Trayvon Martin, which happened when Venus was retrograde in Gemini, I believe. So um, I just wanted to like bring that in and not that I'm an expert in this yet, um but i want to do more research but you know thinking of like venus problems and how venus either separates or brings together right and when venus goes into retrograde it's a call to think about like what we are um connecting with and what we are separating and you know how this functions on an individual level and then also on a collective level right
0: this could lead into a whole big conversation. So fortunately Venus is retrograde for a while longer. So maybe we pull that in next full moon as a, as a theme and topic. Cause, um, I think that beyond needing to make land land acknowledgement, there also has to be labor acknowledgement, which is crucial to any sort of healing process. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that and those and those names. I appreciate it a lot. Um, very important. Um, so speaking of rebellion, perhaps we mentioned Sinead O'Connor and her passing this week and sort of the significance of her her story, right? And a lot of us '90s kids just remember her covering Prince and her bald head. And specifically, her move on Saturday Night Live to rip up a picture of the Pope in order to rebel against the Church or to protest. Um, so, I, I'd love to get your either astrological commentary or just your thoughts on this as as a human being.
1: I mean, um, I uh, I played uh, the the. Performance from Saturday Night Live on my last radio show um, as kind of an acknowledgement to Sinead O'Connor, because I think it fit really well with the Aquarius new moon. First off, like I find I don't know what uh, her chart was, um, but I find her to be like a very Aquarian figure, right? Like a woman in the 80s and 90s who shaved her head, right? Which is like was a pretty radical act back then, you know and uh, was always very outspoken about um, the politics in England and Ireland, uh, race politics, um, about how black people were treated, about how the Irish were treated. Um, you know. And then uh, this moment on Saturday Night Live where like Lauren said, um, at the end of this performance of a cover of Bob Marley's War, um she tears up a picture of the pope and says fight the real enemy and like in the recording you just hear one person be like oh damn and then it's just silence right and she like blows out the candles and walks off stage and like that always chokes me up um because it's this like powerful moment of rebellion of like speaking out and no one knew what to do about it right And it sort of like torpedoed her career uh, where like people were, you know, like bulldozing her CDs and like calling her out. Um, But I think there's like such courage that she had to be able to be like, this is a problem. And she was protesting uh, sexual abuse by the Catholic church, right? Which in 99, when she did this or 92, I can't remember what year it was. In the 90s uh, when she did this, Um, like no one like that wasn't really a thing that was known or talked about and it's not until like very recently um, that you know the child sexual abuse scandal in the catholic church has like really come to light and you know there's beginning like it hasn't been like fixed right by any means but like there's more acknowledgement and I think you know if we think about uh, Aquarius as being ahead of its time Right. And being this sort of like forward thinking uh, sign that like speaks out about like what is important for the collective to know, but is always like uh, 10 steps ahead. You know, I think that moment of Sinead O'Connor being like, this is a huge issue. Fight the real enemy um, is very emblematic of that archetype. And also, you know, the repercussions of like what happens to outsiders who speak out right? When the collective isn't ready and that like repercussion and like how much bravery and courage it takes to like show up in that capacity.
0: It it makes me think of like no publicity or all publicity is good publicity because it brought a conversation to it. But yet another woman was thrown under the bus or called an angry person or, you know, she took a lot of flack. But I think overall, her message is still being woven into society, you know, as, as, as big of a deal as everybody's, you know, it, it sucks that it always takes a performer dying for us to remember how relevant they are or how important these incidences were. And, you know, Pluto in Sagittarius is finally when all of those things came up to surface. So you calling her like a, a foresight an Aquarian seeing the future, right? Um, all of that came to head in the early aughts, right? oh well uh pouring one out for Sinead O'Connor you know my my Irish blood sees Irish in her you know
1: I love her I love her (laughs) I'm gonna get all choked up I'm sorry
0: I feel that I feel that um
1: yeah it was was 92 that uh she did that um don't have my dates all together, but yeah, nineteen ninety-two. So yeah, long time, long time ago.
0: Right. It's and there's like... so many cultural things that we don't think about that are that were going on with Ireland and the troubles at that time, a whole century of internal war, of civil war amongst a nation, you know, the the divide between North and South Ireland, which is still occurring on on some subconscious or even conscious level, the tensions between those two spaces, the influence of the British government, the fact that they use different currency in those different parts of the country and are divided in that way. Um, And I mean, Ireland experienced incredible domination from William of Orange and from Britain, I mean, it was, horrific what happened to irish culture the fact that gaelic language almost like disappeared uh probably the colonialism that that disappeared so much of the uh, the irish wisdom and that attunement to nature and fairies and all of the the magic that came with the environment um i can't say enough about that um you know, v- visiting there was really powerful. Me having a, an Irish best friend from Belfast is a big deal to me because of how much I've learned about the culture and that, that component. So it's, it's really powerful to see, um, how, the things we take for granted, Jonah, did you ever have an Irish car bomb and never think about where the term came from?
1: Um, I grew up in Boston. And so, you know, there was like a lot of kind of IRA, uh, legacy there. Um, and, you know, so I appreciated it, but like, you know, in a very abstract, I just dropped a shot into my glass and now I drank it, ha ha ha, type of way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a cracked tooth from that, but, uh, (laughs) they were my favorite, but the, the idea is that we, we have these idioms like Irish car bomb, and we're not even considering that that is connected to a rebellion movement that was horrific for the people living there. So If you're interested in a light manner, you can watch Dairy Girls on Netflix, which is so freaking cute and and so fun. But it is based around that era. And I think that they do have some Sinead O'Connor music on there. Um, See, well, I feel like my my candle is burning quite low at this moment. Uh, We'll talk about aliens next time.
1: (laughs) Oh, come on. Come on. (laughs)
0: All right. So I think the the big fucking news this week, I mean, distracting us from uh, the world being on fire, is that we had a CIA operative um, say under oath that there is evidence of alien uh, or other life forms. I don't want to call them alien, but um, that they have evidence. They have spacecrafts. They have biological matter from other species. And uh, yeah, I think everybody's like done working and paying their taxes now that we know that the aliens are here and lots of Men in Black stuff online. I definitely watched Arrival (laughs) and Interstellar this week.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, it's weird because I want to believe, right? And I know that the truth is out there. And also it's like, duh, there's aliens. Right. At this point, it's just like, of course, there are aliens, whatever, you know. And, you know, how Aquarian on on one level, right, this like radical new truth. And at the same time, it's like, yep, you know, still got to pay student loans, I guess. Right. And and, you know, I'm kind of I'm sort of like, all right, like, when are they going to, you know, do some, do some alien stuff, right?
0: Give us some meaningful technology. Help us to eliminate famine and climate. Give us air conditioners that don't harm the environment, right? Like help us with the grid.
1: <laughs> yeah, or like blow up the White House or something, you know?
0: Hey, <laughs> now.
1: You went <laughs> I just have that image from Independence Day like burned into my mind.
0: Oh, that's true. That was so impactful when that movie came out. What 1996 yeah. and the monologues. I think that it's still fun to watch, you know. But what I really want to believe is that um, it's not going to be some scary Mars attack moment where you know they're blowing up people with laser guns and stuff. You know, we hope that it's more about exchanging information or acknowledging that we are not the only player in the game.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, just like knowing that we're not the only player in the game, I find like a lot of comfort in. Um, And I have this, I suspect, you know, and this is just in my mind, that they have a like kind of National Geographic kind of ethos where they're like non-intervention. We come there, we like photograph these like weird hairless apes doing their like weird hairless ape thing, right? And then we photograph them and we like look at them, but like we don't intervene.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're
1: like, they're being like, damn, that's stupid. I wouldn't do that. Oh, well, that makes kind of a funny picture.
0: Matt Geo. I was saying to my friend the other night who was so excited because I was like, did you hear about this? And she's like, listen, I watched I watched all of it on, you know, like I sat glued to the television and listened to the whole hearing. And I said, God, you, you think that we like would try to catch them and be like, good job. You just traveled a really, really long way. What can we get you a glass of water? Like, what do you need? I mean, there should be this like amazement at that ability instead of a fear or a fear of dominance because it's like, that's a brave fucker traveling that far across the universe, right? Yeah. And, and also acknowledging that um, maybe they're not carbon-based You know, maybe they are from a gaseous dimension or where, um, I don't know, what else besides carbon? Like, you know, what if they're made of water or something like that? Like, I don't know. I like to imagine it differently, but not everything is the shape.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, some of the fear that people have is like, we only know like how we've treated things with less power than ourselves, right? Like animals, like uh animals nature uh indigenous people right like we only know how we've done colonization um which was atrocious right and i think the fear is that if there was somebody else who had more technology than us they would just treat us the way that we've treated other people who had less technology or like were animals or the natural world Mm -hmm. and i think that you know there's that deep fear that like, oh my God, somebody's going to do to us what we did to the other people or the other beings. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And I think that like ufers or people who have interacted, who've had sightings or who've had abduction experiences. Hopefully there'll be some, you know, less gaslighting, right. Mm-hmm. That, there, that there's going to be a validity to their experiences and that I mean, it's kind of like us doing what we do to bunnies and labs, right? That it's it's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. I, I think on a really ethical level that it's not okay to to poke at other things to try to get information. That's how we end up with the Tuskegee Airmen. That's how we end up with all kinds of ethical dilemmas. No. But I I hope that people who've had those experiences before will find each other and that that it won't be some um, taboo thing that they'll they'll be honored for those experiences and not made to feel like they're they're not sane
1: Mm. yeah because if aliens if aliens exist right like what does that do to our story of mental health right and like what is normal you know and like how we center ourselves right because this um the existence of other life forms in the universe maybe um does to our kind of conception of our galaxy in the universe what realizing that the earth moved around the sun did mm-hmm. right sort mm-hmm. of like completely shifts the way that we think of the map
0: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and that idea of starseed you know mm-hmm. the, that that we're, we're probably related to other beings out there that there has to be some genetic connection because we are life forms and you know i, I studied metaphysics for years and a, a big piece of what my teacher was into was was ufos and aliens and these different species and she would tell us stories about the zeta reticuli which were the little almond-eyed kind of gray beings and that in in pursuit of avoiding war, that they actually bred out their emotional body, like like literally took it out of their DNA. And as a result, they became a dying race because you can't extract the emotional component of the self, right? And so they sought out other life forms to connect with, right, To, to breed with so that they wouldn't be a dying race, that they'd actually have a hybrid race. And what's weird is that you can find all kinds of like those encounters or those accounts of of that specific incident of like needing to hybridize Mm. and whether you believe that or not, I think there's an interesting metaphor about not removing different parts of ourselves because they're undesirable. You know, that's, that's again, the Ananda story about coming, you know, like really embracing the shadow pieces of ourselves.
1: And the Aquarian story, right? Of not just like disassociating from our emotional bodies, right? You know, the we're here for all of it.
0: Yep. Yeah. All of it. Okay. Well, Jonah, I'm 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 ready to dim my candle finally. Yep. But yeah. Thanks
1: for talking about aliens with me. I appreciate I,
0: it. I I want to talk about them more, just not when I'm so sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I just I just wanted to um, you know let let folks know uh, Jonah was hearing about this. We were supposed to record yesterday, but my beloved hound dog, my eight year old Sagittarian double Scorpio dragon, um, has pneumonia and he is quite ill. Uh, this devolved after a surgery and then having uh, developed a kennel cough from being um, in the dog hospital which is sort of like a doggy cold. And it's really been interesting because like I've had the wildfire smoke, asthma activating my system. So I've been coughing and hacking and my dog has been coughing and hacking. He has allergies. I have allergies. It's like, we're all, we're just meant for each other, right? Two peas in a pod. Um, But uh, Dragon uh, definitely has pneumonia and some other stuff going on with his lungs. Um, If you listen very closely to this episode, you can hear him wheezing in the background. Mm. Uh, But- We're waiting for a test to come back for a fungal spore that exists here in Wisconsin called blastomycosis or something like that. And uh, if if Dragon has that, it's going to be a longer recovery process because it's a fungus that grows in the lungs. So it's been a tough weekend for me um, seeing my dog feeling so sick. Um, and I'm so appreciative to those who have reached out via Instagram because I'm doing a $20 ask me any question fundraiser for my dog because crowdfunding feels uncomfortable to me if there's not an exchange. So for everybody who has participated in that, um, just in two hours, we raised over $800. Um and, you know, some, some of it was just, I'm I'm excited to turn on my phone and see what other questions I've had, but I've been able to connect to uh, audience members who've been hesitant to reach out to me. And so it kind of gives you a, a flavor of what I have to offer as well as helping me out with a very, very, very substantial hospital bill for my dog um, because I don't have doggy insurance because I think it's a scam. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But you can find me on Instagram at ursaday, couple underscores there, and just just reach out or DM. And uh, I am so deeply appreciative for your support and for listening to listening to the show. And
1: also, if y'all didn't know, Lauren is a brilliant astrologer, and uh, getting to to ask this brilliant mind a uh, question for twenty dollars is a steal. Um, and so. I'm I'm gonna hit you up because I got a couple of questions that that uh I, stuff that you know that I don't and that I think is definitely worth uh 20 bucks.
0: Yeah. Well thank you, thank you, Jonah. I appreciate that. I get I get so much out of our conversations and that we have this magical fire trying this season that we get to inspire one another. Um, hopefully our audience members have been inspired to do some research for themselves, even if it just means checking out what your Venus sign means to you or what area of your chart that Leo covers for you and where that might show up in the heart. And I hope that you receive um, permission from this show in becoming the only you that you will ever exist, right? And that's something that Jonah and I get to witness every time that we look at a chart is the absolute uniqueness and specialness of every being that's out there. So, Yeah.
1: Pretty great. Thank you, Lauren.
0: <laughs> and there's there's Dragon signing off.
1: <laughs> Y'all have a good night out there in Radio Land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's all for now, folks. The thank you for listening. This is the Inspired Astrology Podcast. Uh, I am Lauren of Ursiday. I am a Reiki mentor and astrologer, spiritual mentor, friend. Uh, mirror, whatever you want to think of me as, but I am here to support you in strange, dark, grieving, odd, wonderful, celebratory times. So whatever has happened in your universe, if I can give you a hand, uh, pull up or a torch to help light light the path before you. Feel free to book with me at ursaday.us. I host multiple sessions online, so if you're listening from afar, do not fret. Uh, The Mirror, which is my astrology consult, is a 50-minute session done via Zoom. And the portal, which is an absentia Reiki session that um, identically mirrors the way that I do it in person, just uh, administering Reiki through the ethers, right? So just think of me as your Wi-Fi router sending, sending you some chords and accordance and harmony through the essence of um, spiritual life force energy. Right. You can learn way more about me <laughs> than you care to at ursa.us, uh, more about my consultations, my background in history, uh, 22 plus years uh, practicing and learning Reiki, much longer than that with metaphysics, Tibetan Buddhism, huge part of my, my practice, and astrology, which I've spoken since childhood. Um, I just want to send a shout out to Dorothy Cunningham, who has uh, transitioned from this world many years ago. But her Aquarian being and her purple light and joy and her gaze was enough to heal me through some really hard years in my life. And she was the first person to introduce me to astrology and to tell me I was a spiritual warrior before I even knew what that meant. So um, to Dorothy, in honor of you and this Aquarius full moon, thank you for being you. And you taught me to be me and to create a meaningful day. If you're looking for Jonah, look at uh, Wizard Camp online. Uh, I'll put the, the link for that in the show notes. Uh, Jonah and I have never met in human co-presence. However, uh, we have connected somehow, some way through the magical force of the internet. And how grateful am I for that opportunity to connect with this brilliant, brilliant soul and uh, great teacher to me for sure. So you can you can find Jonah on Instagram at blind underscore stallion underscore blind stallion space wizard. There you go. There's underscores in between all of those. I'm going to end the show with Sinead O'Connor and her vital performance of Bob Marley's War on Saturday Night Live that we were speaking about in the show.
2: Until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war until there's no longer First-class or second-class citizens of any nation Until the colour of a man's skin is of no more significance Than the colour of his eyes I've got to say war That until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all Without regard to race I say war Until that day The dream of lasting peace World citizenship And the rule of international morality Will remain just a fleeting illusion To be pursued But never attained And everywhere is war Until the ignoble and unhappy regime Which holds all of us through Child abuse, yeah Child abuse, yeah Subhuman bondage Has been toppled Utterly destroyed Everywhere is war War in the east War in the west, war up north, war down south. There's war and the rumors of war. Until that day, there is no continent which will know peace. Children, children. Fight! We find it necessary We know we will win We have confidence In the victory Of good over evil Fight the real enemy